HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Inside Julia's Kitchen is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill. Employee-owned Bob's Red Mill offers organic, gluten-free, stone-ground products. Visit bobsredmill.com today. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome Julia's friends and family, her niece, Violet Cousins, television producer Jeffrey Drummond, and cookbook author Anne Willen. In honor of Julia's 106th birthday on August 15th, today's program is all one big Julia moment. So you're in for a birthday treat. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we're heading right into our usual final segment. Yes, we're mixing it up today for the milestone of what would be Julia's 106th birthday on August 15th. For those who might not be regular listeners, the Julia moment is when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. That's right, today's inspiration is Julia's birthday, which has evolved into a global celebration of her life and legacy. At the foundation, we've been amazed, charmed, and gratified by the attention Julia's birthday receives every year. So this year, we thought it would be fun to talk with some of the people who were closest to Julia and have them share their own Julia moments. Joining me today are Phyla Cousins, Jeffrey Drummond, and Ann Willen. First up, I'm delighted to have Phyla Cousins join us on Inside Julia's Kitchen. A psychologist by profession, Phyla is also Julia's niece and one of the family members who was closest to her. Phyla's mother, Dorothy McWilliams Cousins, known to the family as Dort, was Julia's sister, and they were very close. You might remember Jane Lynch played Dort in the movie Julia and Julia. Phyla is also a long-serving trustee of the foundation, and in that role has continued to protect and foster Julia's legacy since she died, just shy of her 92nd birthday, in 2004. Welcome to the podcast, Phyla. Hi. 
Well, thanks for joining us for this special birthday episode. All right, we're going to dive right in. What's your Julia birthday moment? Well, I um, actually, with the rest of the family, ended up spending quite a few birthdays with Julia um, in Maine. We used to do family reunions in Maine, uh, and we'd spend a whole week, and oftentimes Julia's birthday, August 15th, would occur over this week, and uh, we... We would always have a a dinner on these reunions, and it, when it was Julia's birthday during the reunion, we would have this dinner, and the dinner pretty much consisted of lobster, lots and lots of butter, and a huge bottle of champagne. She was often given a bottle of champagne by a very, one champagne house or another. And it was, a, I think it was a Jeroboam, so that would be four bottles. And there were 12 adults in this group. And what Julia liked to do with the bottle is savor, saber, saber the, the cork and the top off. This is something she actually learned in Denver, where I'm from, from a restaurant owner called Sam Arnold, who uh, ran a very famous restaurant in Denver called The Fort. And he actually taught her how to do this with a saber. But Julie would just use a big kitchen knife, and she would hold the bottle. Later, as she got older, my cousin David would hold the bottle. And she would take the back of the knife, and she used to say, you have to have the courage of your conviction to do this. And she would just thwack the, the top of the bottle off, and it would go flying off with the cork. Um, my son Nick and his cousin Max would fight every year over who who used to get the the top of the bottle, and we'd have to say, "Now Max got it last year. It's this time for Nick." But then we'd have this incredible bottle of of champagne with the lobster and butter. It was it's quite a wonderful memory. Um, I can't even remember. Well, what this, this is where we should say, "Don't try this at home," and remind people the, that Julia was actually trained to do that. Took over. Um, I do remember her 90th birthday celebrations because she had many, many of them. So we had one in Maine and we had one at the uh, American History Museum at the Smithsonian and with various friends. But the main thing with Julia when you had a celebration was everybody had a lot of fun. Julia was really good at having fun and making sure that everybody else had fun. So that is my Julia memory. That's lovely. So when you have these birthday celebrations in Maine, is this when you were already grown up? Yes. These were in the mid-90s to early 2000s. And so who did the cooking? Um, well, during the, during the reunions, everybody cooked. I mean, Julia would cook, and all the nieces and nephews cook, um, inspired by Julia, so oftentimes what we would do is um, a family would take responsibility for cooking a meal. But we usually always pitched in, and Julia always threw in her two cents worth. <laughs> 
So it was a really group and family effort. I think I'm asking you that, Phyla, because I think it's really obvious to you, but I think most people have trouble kind of imagining what the personal eating, cooking, dining experiences with Julia, because for most people, it would be such a big deal to have a meal with them, with her. Yeah. Well, you know, cooking with Julia was like cooking with a parent. I mean, she 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 just liked to cook, and we didn't do particularly fancy stuff. We'd just cook food. You know, we'd have we'd make fish chowder, or we call it fish chowder, and we'd always have the lobster meal, and sometimes we'd have beef stew and, you know, fish from the region. But it was all very simple. And remember, we were cooking this reunion. We would had 17 to 18 people, so um, <laughs> you couldn't do anything too fancy. And I remember we spent quite a few years at Deer Isle, and we'd go to the local um, grocery store at Stonington, <laughs> And two, we'd we'd fill two grocery carts full of food, and the checkout person would go, um, okay. And we said, well, this is for eighteen people. <laughs> they were all amazed at how many, how much food we would buy. It was it was fun. It was a, it was a fun time. We had a good time. Well, and I guess that seems really fitting, right? Because Maine, summer, lobster, it's local, it's in season, it's the freshest thing you can get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And so ha- w- what's happened, you know, since Julia's passed to that birthday tradition? Has it been passed on or has it sort of died with her or is it ebbed and flowed? Or would you still absolutely, if you were in Maine in August, have a birthday dinner with lobster? You know, that's a very, very good question. And I don't know how to answer that because we, we don't get together as a family around her birthday anymore. We certainly talk about her when we get together. And, you know, every time we, t- we we cook, we think about her. And actually, I was recently in Vermont with a, a bunch of my cousins who were the children of Julia's brother, John, um, uh, Patty, David, and Carol. And we, we did a lot of cooking. And, and we always think about Julia when we get together. Well, I think that's a great memory and, and a whole inspirational menu for people who want to join in who have lobsters at the ready. And just to repeat, I think Philo was saying something the same time as me. If you've never sabered a bottle of champagne, it does take training. So don't try that at home. But if you can find a video <laughs> yes. online of you someone do doing it, it's courage, very... the courage of your convictions. And amazingly enough, the shards of glass do not get in the champagne. Yes, if you do it correctly, but you can you also lose a finger you, if you yeah, don't know you what you're doing. You have to do it one fell swoop, just whoop, off the top. <laughs> and uh, it was an amazing sight, let me tell you. Yes, it's very dramatic. A bottle of champagne was uh, sabered at my wedding as well. And um, it does work, but but it, 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 it has its uh, risk. Yep. You have to have a strong arm to do it, which is <laughs> <laughs> so the courage of your convictions for a birthday dinner of lobster, butter, and champagne. A little bit of green. <laughs> a little bit of, oh, you did have greens. There might have been a salad. Yeah, we had, we had salad. Salad. To j- just balance out the richness of the lobster. That's right. Absolutely. And, and was it just sh- free-flowing champagne all night, or was it just champagne at one moment and then you moved on to something else? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, this is a huge bottle of champagne. Um and we would savor the top off, and it starts serving it with the 
with the lobster, and then we just continued drinking it till the bottle was gone. I see. Well, at a certain sounds... point, we sent the kid. We would send the kids outside. Why don't you guys go play? <laughs> but it was fun. You know, we really had a good time. Well, I think it also it feels like a very summery uh, memory of you know Julia being an August baby and um, that kind of menu and that kind of thing. And and maybe as many people don't know how uh, Maine was a very um, important place in your family. Maybe you could just describe that quickly before we close out. Yeah, because Julia's husband, Paul, and his twin brother, Charlie, actually built a house in, in, in Maine um, near Southwest Harbor. And we, we did one of the reunions there, and um, then we moved farther north up. But, yeah, Julia had been going to Maine for years. Well, thank you very much for being with us today and sharing your Julia birthday moment. I really appreciate it, Phyla. And thank you for having me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll hear from Julia's longtime television producer, Jeffrey Drummond. We'll be right back. Here's a tip. Many of Julia's cake meringue recipes call for pulverized almonds. This just means finely ground almonds, which these days is more commonly known as almond flour. Better yet, let Bob's Red Mill do the work for you. Try their super fine almond flour made from blanched whole almonds, perfect for baking something in honor of Julia's 106th birthday. Visit bobsredmill.com today, use the discount code JULIA25 all one word in all caps, for valuable savings on almond flour. It's great to welcome veteran television writer, director, producer, content creator extraordinaire, Jeffrey Drummond to the show. Perhaps best known for reigniting Julia's television career, Jeff worked with her on a total of four different PBS television series and several specials between 1993 and 2000, which garnered Julia her second and third Emmy Awards, as well as several nominations. He's currently the executive director of the Food Lab at SUNY Stony Brook Southampton in New York and produces the Avec Eric television series starring acclaimed chef Eric Repair. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So thanks for joining us for this special birthday episode on what would have been Julia's 106th. What's your Julia moment? Well, I, I, it's interesting. There are endless stories about Julia, you know, and many of them true, and some like Julia dropping a chicken on the floor uh, and putting it back in the roaster are apocryphal. Uh, but they've been repeated. It's interesting. They've been repeated so many times that people actually swear they've seen the episode. Uh, and think that it supposedly happened, but having kind of searched through all of the footage from the very beginning, we've never been able to find <laughs> such an episode. Uh, that said, you know, Julia loved surprising people. And, you know, some of my favorite memories uh, are mostly around just her, her really, her quickness, her, her wit and biting humor. Uh, 
and you just sit in the control room and wait for her to drop one. For example, when uh, we were doing uh, the Julia and Jacques TV series and Julia tasted uh, this sautéed spinach that Jacques was making during a taping, and, you know, she said, actually, she called him Jack. She liked to, He liked to say he was from from Connecticut, and <laughs> she would then call him Jack. And she said, Jack, this spinach tastes tough, and Jack kind of tasted it, and smiling back at her, saying, no, Julia, it tastes fine to me. And Julia, like, instantly came back with, well, Jack, you must have sharper teeth. Uh, and, you know, whether whether Jacques' teeth were, in fact, sharper, Julia showed, you know, how sharp her humor was. Uh, she loved to supply, surprise people all the time with what I called su- really simple truths. Uh, in a Q&A after a book signing, uh, she gave someone and said, Julia, uh, what are you working on next? And uh, hoping to hear about the next big TV series coming up. And Julia's simple answer was beans. Uh, and that's the kind of thing she did. She also got away with pushing pushing the limits, I'd say, of uh, you know what might be normally accepted social conversation. Uh, I remember in a restaurant one evening, she kind of stared very closely into the plate of the person sitting next to her uh, and asked, oh, dearie, what is that? And uh, the woman responded, uh, well, grilled vegetables on brown rice. And Julia said, well, I hope it tastes good because it looks awful. (laughs) Uh, You know, she did stuff like that. She liked to shock with what were obvious truths. Uh, I guess the other thing about Julia that I really appreciated and got to see so many times working with her is that she was forever curious. Uh, She was, I'd say, relentless in wanting to know how things were done and why. And then wanted to share what she learned. You know, we, when we were filming, and I know most of my stories come from our stories of production, but when we were filming, uh, baking, uh, actually it wasn't baking with Julia, it was in Julia's kitchen with Master Chefs. And Jasper White, who was one of Julia's favorite Boston chefs and a great fish cook. Uh, was going to demonstrate his recipe for uh, New England fish chowder, which was a Julia favorite. Uh, The topping for the chowder were salt pork cracklings and Cape Cod common crackers, uh, split and buttered, of course. And, And Jasper, you know, explained to Julia that we're going to make everything but the crackers, because the crackers we really buy commercially. They're done in big commercial ovens, and nobody really makes these. Well, of course, that was kind of the bait for Julia to say, well, we should make them. (laughs) And she set out to figure out how to make these uh, Cape Cod uh, common crackers. And uh, 
not as easy as it sounds. Uh, she called she called Barbara Haber at Harvard. She called Shirley Carter, the food science person in Atlanta, and nobody really had an answer. Uh, and so she assigned the task to figure it out to our recipe tester, uh, Kathleen Anino. And interestingly, Kathleen, after about two weeks, really figured how to make uh, figured out how to make New England common crackers uh, or Cape Cod common crackers, as they were called here. And um, Julia, of course, was thrilled. And um, and and in her, not only did we share that in the show. But in the book, you know, kind of demonstrating Julia's generosity, certainly with giving credit and so on, gave, gave a full page in, the, in Julia's Kitchen with Master Chef's cookbook uh, titled Kathleen Anino's Cape Cod uh, Common Crackers. And it was amazing. Uh, and I, I, can, I can probably keep going endlessly with stories, but... Um, well, Jeff, I was going to ask you, could you, did you find that in working with her, could you anticipate or could you, you know, just moments before her, did her expression change or something when one of these sort of contrarian zingers was going to come out? Or what, was it always even quite surprising to you? No, it's a good question. Uh, a lot of times she would signal it with a little twink. I most of the most of your audience is probably too young to remember Jack Benny, but he always used to give a kind of look to look to the audience, look back to the person. Julia would do the same thing. She would have a mischievous little smile going before and then after very, very often. And uh, and I think that. I, I would look for it, and very often in the edit room, we would go back and look for these very special uh, kind of Julia signals. She would also, when she was particularly delighted with something, you, you could almost see in her expression a what I call a childlike joy that came to her face. One, again, with Jacques, she and Jacques were making these, you know, mile-high cheeseburgers with everything in the world on it, and they kind of Jacques cut it so that literally, I, I don't know how they got it into their mouths, but they did. And uh, Julia, just before taking a bite, kind of looked to the camera, looked down, took her bite, and then gave a smile to the camera that she said, hmm, my, that's good. And the smile on her face said, I am remembering what it was like when I tasted this first when I was six years old. It was that mm. kind of feeling and that kind of, and, and, and she was, even though, you know, she's not famous for liking organic, she was one of the most organic people in terms of food and appreciation of food and kind of the joy around food that I've ever met. Um, well, I think, I think that's really great that you chose to sh share that because I don't think a lot of people 
that's not their immediate association with Julia is her mischievous nature or that she was kind of quick witted sometimes in a in a biting way. And maybe that's because it always sort of came across with with charm and grace or or do you think it's just got overshadowed by other lore? Well, I think, you know, I, there there are so many different aspects to what and how Julia did her, uh, did what she did. So, uh, I mean, there, there was a kind of thoroughness. There was an appreciation. There was always a mischievousness. Um, and, you know, and then there was a kind of great, great joy attached to all of all of what she was doing she really delighted in not only not only in in doing the cooking herself but watching other people do it i mean most of our series were were tied to bringing people who were doing the next generations of cooking all of these different chefs and bakers and she delighted in in what they were doing, as she should have, because she was really the underpinning of kind of opening up this whole window for America. Uh, and took great pleasure. She took great pleasure in so many things. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about the other day, as I knew we were going to speak, was uh, Julia was. Um, she loved. You know, kind of. She she loved the idea of creating a meal. Uh, it wasn't just about grabbing food. She really liked to create a meal, and it really was the joy of the table that uh, she brought about. And one of the things that she loved to do was, you know, both give and you know and hear toasts and. Uh, with wine, uh, she made a great point in teaching all of us who spent time with her that when you toasted uh, with a stemmed glass of wine, you held the stem at the bottom, not as so many people think to not raise the temperature of the wine, but that you could hear, but so that you could hear the music of the clinking of the glasses and 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 it was really one of those things that was drilled into all of us and i i remember uh at a gathering of family and friends right after julia uh passed away uh in santa barbara it was two days it was on her birthday and two days after she died and people were all out there for her birthday, and as you know, and everybody gathered around to remember and celebrate Julia. And when we stood up to give a toast, there wasn't a person at that table who didn't hold the stem uh, down at the bottom. And we listened to those clinks, and it was. Uh, you know, we had all learned our lesson well and toasted Julia with both tears and smiles acknowledging that. 
that is a great way to remember her in your birthday, in your Julia moment on her birthday for her 106th. And hopefully everyone at home, as they raise a glass on the 15th of August in Julia's honor, can hold their stem to maximize the beauty of the clink. I hope so. Thanks very much for joining us and sharing your Julia moment, Jeff. It was my pleasure. All right, we're going to take another short break, and we'll be back to hear from Julia's close friend and acclaimed author, Anne Willen. Stay with us. This week, it's the season finale of Meet and Three. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population. The question of planning for retirement or old age as a cook It's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late. We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus, a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risque landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and Three, available wherever you get your podcasts. And Willen widely recognized on both sides of the Atlantic as an authority on French cooking. The founder of the legendary Lavarin Cooking School, of which Julia was a key supporter, Anne's authored more than 40 books on cooking and culinary history, including the best-selling Lavarin Pratique and the multi-award winning The Country Cooking of France. A member of the James Beard Foundation Hall of Fame, and like Julia, awarded the rank of Chevalier of the French Legion of Honor, she is also my mother-in-law, and how I know Julia. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Very good to be here. Thanks for joining us for this special birthday episode. All right, Anne, what's your Julia birthday moment? Well, the birthday moment would be when your wife, my daughter, who was then 15, cooked birthday Um, dinner for Julia. It was when we were living at Chateau du Fay in Burgundy and Julia came with Paul to stay and Emma was in charge of the kitchen. She was 15 and more than capable of doing just a fairly simple meal. And so I remember clearly um, we'd rented most of the chateau so we were in the wing which was great, just near the vegetable garden. So Emma made a huge great salad, fresh lettuce from the garden, little baby carrots. Um, She did roast ducks. And then we had birthday cake. And so Emma had learned to make a genoise. So she did a genoise. And we must have had an ice cream machine because she made some chocolate ice cream and put it in the middle and then she made hot chocolate sauce, poured it over the top of the cake and ta-da, ta-da, carried it into the little dining room next door. So most people would be fairly intimidated to cook for Julia. How did you, being the professional cook and chef, end up assigning your, how old was Emma, 14 or 15 daughter to uh, cook for Julia? 
Well, Emma was cooking for us that summer. That's to say, we had, we being my husband and myself, lots and visitors in and out. And Emma was in charge in the kitchen. And if Emma can cook for all our friends, I knew that Julia would really enjoy it. And Julia would all the more enjoy it, or I enjoyed it, because the very first time I really met Julia was when she came to dinner with us in Cambridge, uh, when we were Massachusetts, when we were living there for a year. And I was pregnant with Emma. I'm very pregnant. And I remember, and we didn't know Julia. Uh, we'd met her once on the set. And Julia walked in the door, and I was really nervous about it. And I'd made a country pate. And she said, My, that looks good. And cut herself a slice. And after that, of course, everything was just fine. And I remember what we had. Well, it wasn't fine, as a matter of fact, but it was okay. <laughs> we had cheese souffle, and I was too pregnant. I was really, Emma was born about three weeks later. Um, I was too pregnant to whisk the egg whites in the copper bowl. Um, and I asked a friend who was a food editor to whisk them, and they curdled. Yeah. And so we had to do it again, and I had to pull Mark in out of, from talking to Julia. So we had cheese souffle, and we had a roast leg of lamb and green beans, and I made a great big fancy, I can't think why I did it, um, one of those Austrian Dobosch tortas with ten layers and caramel, a caramel layer on the top. It was all very, very fancy. But, of course, it's a long time ago, that. That's 47 years, because your wife is 47. Well, she's, for the record, 46. I'm 47. But you go back to, you had explained to me the special connection from that special dinner, which sounds a lot fancier than the birthday dinner Emma cooked, that that you felt always that Julia and Emma had this special connection from that introduction, right? Yes. Um, I think Julia would have loved to have her own children. And I think from the beginning, whenever Emma was born, she came to see her. She felt a particular connection to Emma. Emma used to, uh, to come, she went to Groton School, which um, was near Boston where Julia was living, and Emma would be invited to lunch or dinner at weekends, and she felt a very close connection to Emma. And when there was that birthday dinner at Chateau du Fay, I mean, that was really such fun. Emma was quite nervous. And, she... and what did Julia think of the dinner? Do you remember Julia's reaction? Or was she quite proud of Emma for doing it? Or was she sort of just... Oh, Julia was delighted because it was very simple. But it was a proper, very fresh salad 
properly cleaned, properly dressed. Um, I don't think there was anything on it except um, vinaigrette dressing. Then I do know we had roast duck and we would have had green beans from the garden. And they were quite quite big green beans, but that's fine. They would have been picked that morning. And I expect I helped her top and tail them. Um, and we would have had little potatoes of some kind, possibly a nice fried potato cake. Emma, the kind that you cook in a frying pan and turn out and then cook in uh, cut in wedges like a cake. Um, and Emma was more than capable of doing that. She's always been a good cook. She likes food. My Both my children, all the family like food. And so was that the only time you really remember spending Julia's birthday with her since she was often in America and you were usually in France? Exactly. Yes. I mean, I remember many times Mark and I stayed with Paul and Julia occasionally, many times having dinner with Julia in her own kitchen. I remember once we must have flown in directly from France and I bought, brought some of the season's fresh truffles. And Julia said, oh, good, you can peel them for me. And so she always, when you went into her kitchen, she said she'd work doing something. So that day it was the, um, the truffles. And another time she had a roast of beef in the oven. And she said, oh, she said, I'm waiting for you to make the Yorkshire pudding. It's too bad this is radio where you could see and actually her whole face transforms to, uh, to do her Julia voice. So that's really lovely. And certainly if you've ever been in the kitchen with Anne, you will be put to work in exactly the same fashion as Julia. But I think that's really that trait of being a sort of natural teacher. Mm-hmm. But then it's more than being a natural teacher because th- the irony of that is, yes, well, one could say, oh, you're engaging free labor all the time. But actually there's something warm and welcoming about the idea that you, someone comes into your house and you immediately put them to work in your own kitchen. It's a very open form of hospitality, no? And it means you trust them. They're part of the family. I mean, when your children come in now, I always find something for them to come and do in the kitchen. It makes you feel, I would like, well, a part of the family, but it's very warm and welcoming and you pop something in the oven and keep an eye on it. And it's fun. It's all a... a, a a shared experience. Well, exactly. And I think um, on the podcast already, both both Jeff and Phyla were talking about how their memories really include that, n- not just the menu and not just that it was Julia's birthday, but they both focused on the, the sort of being together of gathering for a meal on a birthday. And I think that's a very mm. big Julia motif and a motif in all of our lives. And I, would you say that your memory of this special birthday dinner in France, w- which would have been about 1990, something like that. Something like that. Um, Yes, it it was less. Emma was 15. So, yes, it was a little bit earlier than that. Something like that. There was another link, too, 
because Julia's, um, my mother, own mother's birthday was one day later and she was one year older than Julia. There are all sorts of kind of close links. Very nice. And would you say, is that why you think that memory of spending, because you spent lots of different times with Julia and you even mm -hmm. worked together, but when I asked you for a Julia birthday memory that, I mean, obviously it was a birthday, mm -hmm. but it seems like a memory that's really held for you. Well, it's united all three of us. Um, and Julia, because my own mother was living in England and we were living in the States, was to some extent, I don't know if I can really claim this, but took the place of my mother. I mean, I would ask Julia's advice and Julia would call every now and again and say, how are the children? And um, so it was a close personal uh, relationship that indeed we never forgot Julia's birthday because it was basically my mother's. Well, that's a really lovely Julia moment to share. And yeah, I mean, I think you're almost describing we need a word for what's the combination of a mentor who becomes a friend, um, a mentend or something. And that's what Julia was to you. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and, and sharing your Julia moment. As you can see and hopefully hear in my voice, Julia always makes one smile. Thanks very much, Anne. Thank you. So since this is a special episode, we're asking you, dear listeners, for your contributions too. What's your Julia moment? Please send us an email or even better, a voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org and share your own Julia moment with us. We plan to share some of our favorites on a future show. Who knows? We might even include yours. You can follow the foundation as always on social media. Our handles are at Julia Child on Facebook, at Julia Child Foundation, all one word, on Instagram, and at Julia Child JCF on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at T Shulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L-K-I-N. Thanks to WGBH for the Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef. Thanks to my co-producer of the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, David Tadashore. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. Please do give us a review, which will really help new listeners discover us. So thanks for listening. That's it for season two. We'll be back in the fall with many more guests taking you inside the foundation's world. Meanwhile, the end of the summer is a great time to catch up on any episodes you may have missed. They're available on the Heritage Radio Network website. Just go to the Inside Julia's Kitchen show page. You can also find them on Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Just search Inside Julia's Kitchen. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the Season 3 start on September 13th. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>